0: to the Gem of War Mechanisms podcast. I'm speaking today uh, to Dr. Suzanne Doyle-Morris, who's just written a fascinating book uh, called The Conjob. Um Welcome, Suzanne.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Brian.
0: No problem at all. So the, the, the things you're writing about are very much uh, in our areas, BCS, because When I was reading your book, I haven't read all of it, It just in the interests of um, imposter syndrome and fessing up, I haven't read all of it, but I have read substantial (laughs) chunks and it is fascinating. Um, So (laughs) can I start just by asking you for just an overview of this idea of um, competence versus confidence? Yeah,
1: so thank you. I mean, essentially, I have been fascinated by this topic years because I go into companies and I help them get usually more women into senior positions. And one of the things that's so interesting to me is I go into these organizations and one of the things I see is they will they think that the whole way to get people ahead is just give them more confidence. And I think that they use this as like a panacea. Like if I have a confidence pill, then my whole world will be good. (laughs) And I actually think that's about valuing the wrong thing. I want us to value competence That is people who are really good at their job. <laughs> and I know that BCS people <laughs> are really understand this because a lot of the work I've done has been in the IT sector where we're looking at, okay, how do we do more to make sure that the right people are getting rewarded, not just the, the blackguards and the blowhards who are great at overpromising, but not always delivering. Yeah, does
0: that make sense? It absolutely <laughs> does. yeah, that's really, that's really good. I mean, uh, you talk a lot in, in your book or a little bit about, about the idea of, of privilege and how that works against obviously um, uh, certain uh, minorities, whether it be in terms of ethnicity or, or gender disability, that sort of thing. Um, in fact, I've, I've just picked out a quote here I particularly like. Um, the, way the way privilege works is only visible when you don't have it, or you've taken the time to swim in someone else's bowl. <laughs> Tell us yeah. a little bit about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, certainly. so we are all fish, right? <laughs> that are swimming in the bowl that we live in and the bowl that we see our friends are living in. But realistically, we don't necessarily see the bowls that other people are swimming in. We don't see how murky their water might be. Um, and this topic, I've got to be really honest with you, Brian. I went at this from a gender point of view. So when I first started writing, most of my clients are women. Um, I do a lot of executive coaching and consulting and speaking to audiences all, you know, all day long. But what's interesting to me is that I was very blinded myself, and I thought this is a gender issue because I see a lot of people who are overlooked for how good they are when we just go for the, you know, the the blowhards and and over reward them. But actually, the more I dug. I was humbled by how much this affects people from a range of backgrounds. So just as you said, um, it affects people for whom the kind of bravado, the kind of self-promotion, the kind of extroversion that we attribute confidence to, it doesn't work for a lot of people. It doesn't work for people for whom they were raised in a culture where humility is prized. And let me be honest, I do recognize the complete irony of an American talking about this (laughs) when (laughs) confidence seems to be like our our most famous export. (laughs) 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 But what's so interesting, you know, I've I've been in the UK over 20 years now. um, And what's interesting to me is that, it doesn't work for for a lot of people. As I said, people from cultures um, where we don't, but where they don't prize that. So telling somebody, and I interviewed a woman from the BBC, and she said, "You know, I'm, I'm often told I need to self-promote, but in the Persian culture which I was raised, you know, that is like nails on a chalkboard. It doesn't." Also work for introverts, um, and I worked uh, for several years in the IT sector myself, and I met a lot of fantastic introverts. Mm-hmm. But self poshion doesn't come naturally to them either, and, and nor should it, really. It also doesn't work well for people, um, people of, uh, uh, well, women certainly, because we, we judge women very negatively when they show confidence. So when I asked people, I interviewed about 40 leaders from around the world. And what was so interesting to me was that they all I said, what does confidence look like to you? And they would say, Well, it's the person who puts himself forward, always happy to speak, always, you know, fights their corner, those kinds of things. And they would recognize that. However, I saw this was a very what I call status quo way of of expect of what we expected from confidence. So those types of behaviors when they're exhibited by, and I've got to be honest, rich uh, or, or well off, I should say white men in na- who are native speakers of English in the Western workplace, we tend to think of those guys as really confident they have gravitas. Um, and, but when other people show the same types of behaviors, We describe them as being, you know, if you're a woman, you might be described as being bullshit or feisty or difficult when you're a person and Black Lives Matters that comes to mind right now. When you're a person from a black background, you'll be described as being um, difficult or angry. If you're a person who comes from a a background that is less socioeconomically um, well off, this is i'll give you an example this is the first time living in britain when i came in my 20s it was the first time i'd ever heard the phrase that someone was acting above their station so it's that whole concept of who deserves confidence and who is entitled to display it does that make sense brian
0: it absolutely does uh, in fact so one of the things you're talking about here is the use of reductive language
1: mm-hmm. so for me Yeah. I mean, it was really interesting. And and back where I, you know, where in the country where I I did come from, you know, people from a Latinx background, they are routinely described when they show us as confidence as being fiery or spicy. And, you know, it's like a it's like a food the way we describe it. And I just think, you know what, those people are showing confidence, but we don't. The reason we judge them in that reductive language, to your point, is that we're not comfortable seeing them display it.
0: So I, you have a number of really interesting quotes throughout the book from a range of people, from, from sort of subject matter experts to, to people from, you know, popular culture. One, one struck out, uh, stuck out to me from, um, is it Elizabeth Uvia Benin? Um, yeah, Udia yes. Yeah. She
1: wrote an book called Slay in Your Lane.
0: So this is, this is interesting. We absolutely give the benefit of the doubt to confident men. And, that, and that's where the, that then made me think about the whole humility thing. Now, humility is not a, a quality that we tend to prize very much, isn't it? So how can we get that a little bit more recognized as being important, do you think?
1: So you're completely right. I mean, we do not prize humility. And that's so sad because actually you get so much further in life. And what I mean by that is people trust you more. People also don't think of you as so, solely self-interested if you have. The, and you make just better judgments if you have an extent of humility so what's really interesting for me when I was writing the book the, the research that really that, that got me thinking about this much more was how conversely related um, confidence and competence are which is the more your confidence goes up which is what we tell we, people we want in the workplace right build your confidence believe in yourself yay 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 we tell people they want that but what's is the more your confidence goes up, the less you become concerned about your competence. And that, Brian, blew me away. I was like, oh my God, we don't need more of those people in the workplace. (laughs) Um, And the reason you become less, and and we all know these people, right? Um, The more confident you become, you don't need to work on your skills because remember, you've got this. You'll blag your way through it. You'll talk the talk do whatever it is and interestingly conversely the more competent you become the more you often your confidence will it goes up and down a little bit more it it decreases to a certain extent and and that sounds negative but what's amazing about it is it will be that it will take on that quality simply because and I'm certainly a good example of this you realize how much more complex the thing that you were an expert on is how more nuanced it is and how many more questions there are to ask. You know, if if you're an IT professional, you are learning every day, right? And that's those, and, and for me, those are the people we want on our teams, not the people who say, Yep, I know it all. I, I mean, I'm really nervous about those people who say, yep, I'm the expert, um, you know, don't don't question me. Those are the people we need to be not promoting, but really doubting a little bit because we're all learning all the time.
0: So um, one of the little phrases from your book was that overconfidence is more detrimental than underconfidence. Now, in my sort of uh, week-to-week interactions with people in IT, many of them are very concerned about, you know, carry on learning. Uh, some people do very much have the view, uh, you know, I'm the expert, you must you must bow to me and uh, my expertise in one area also makes me an expert in lots of other areas. Is, is that a, a common male thing again? So I
1: don't know that it's male. Um, and I, and I don't want people to think that this is a male bashing book what is it for me, because actually I also believe our versions of confidence don't do any favors for men. And I'll give you a very, very brief example, which is that the whole concept of manning up or growing a pair, right? Those are all about showing confidence. We totally equate masculinity with confidence. But what that means is that men do not feel that always like they wanna ask for help when, when they need it. And I think that is directly correlated with the fact that, that suicide is the number one killer of men in the developing world in the developed world, sorry. So, so I think, and and conversely, again, you look at women, and what is the worst thing if somebody is if somebody doesn't show confidence? We call them a word that is described as a woman's reproductive part. You know what? They're a complete pussy. Don't be a pussy. <laughs> that means you have no confidence.
0: I was thinking mousy, but okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. I don't know if this podcast will uh, blurt that out. But realistically, for me, that was also hugely interesting. So I don't think our versions of kind of look at me world confidence do men a great favor either. Um, so, so for me, yeah, that, that is a real concern. Um, I think we, what we need to do is really celebrate the people who are always learning and know that learning will never stop.
0: Yeah. Do you do you think perhaps then that uh, you use this phrase imposter syndrome, which has become, uh, you know, more accepted, but particularly come up through studies of gender differences, hasn't it, I think, where it's obviously more prevalent among females. Do you think in fact there's a place for imposter syndrome then that, that, that might might be a valuable thing we can just use?
1: I think that it is a great, I would even call it, uh, I would go as far as to call it maybe a secret superpower. And what I mean by that, I, I'm sure it never feels that way in the moment, uh, and I get it too myself, but what I think is interesting is imposter syndrome keeps you learning It keeps you improving. And I think that's really important, but I think the more contextual issue that I've got with imposter syndrome is that I think it's, it makes sense particularly in people, and I, and I do recognize men get this as well, however, what I think it makes more sense in groups where they are in a minority. So one of the things that's so interesting to me is that we often um, tell women, for example, in IT, just be more confident, but I think that's really ironic because it takes a lot of confidence to walk in and be you know, one of the very few women on the team. To have studied to that level, you know, to and then to work to that level and be, you know, one of the very few women on the entire team, and then we say to her, "Oh, our problem is that she doesn't have enough confidence." My irony is that it took a lot of confidence for her to walk into this, uh, this environment, and to do as well as she's doing. Um, so, so for me, that really, I, I I'm very concerned about that because, frankly, I think that doesn't make sense. We can't. What we do is we tell people to have more confidence, but then when they show it, we judge them negatively for it. It's difficult or bitchy or whatever. But going back to something you said a few minutes ago, if you don't mind, you asked about This concept of is this an all male thing? But realistically, it's not. And I'll give you an example. When you talked about um, people who really believe their own, their own, their own medicine, you know, their their own, they're drinking their own Kool Aid, if you will, is that um, there is an effect. It's a it's called the Dunning Kruger effect, which shows that I'll I'll paraphrase the research where they gave tests to people. um, I think they were mathematical tests. And interestingly, the people who thought they had done the best on the test um, scored them, you know, when they were asked subsequently, how'd you do? They said, oh, I think we did. um, I think I did okay." The people who did the worst on the test, actually, we asked and they said, oh, I think I aced it. I think I and I think what's interesting is that we see this in politics as well. But what's more interesting about the Dunning Kruger effect is when the researchers then showed people their actual scores and said, "Oh, let's talk about the low scorers." They said, "Oh, you actually got a fairly low score." The people were so certain that they had done well, they denounced the quality of the test. They thought the the um, the uh, the test giver was biased. They were still very certain, even when given the proof of their own inadequacy, that they were in the right.
0: How interesting! I mean, we might just spot that, I suppose, in some public political figures, but uh, we won't. We won't see <laughs> that.
1: I love you. You know what? This is what I love about living in Britain. I love British understatement. You. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think we see it. And I think it does worry me. And I do talk a bit about politics in the book. It's certainly not the main thrust of it. But I say, I don't think we're in a better place for having um, promoted. And that's where most of my work is in is in, you know, who's in the workplace promoted. But you could Also say voted in people who are all confident, you know, they're the bravado. They're the people who shoot from the hip and wing it and all. That I don't think we're in a better place for that, and I'd like to get back to a place where we're listening to the experts and the you know the medical um, the the scientists. It's not out surprise to me that um, you know that Witty and and uh, you know D- Dr. Fauci are regarded very highly by certain groups of people, but totally disregarded by others. Yeah. Others, they know better. Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> it absolutely does. And In fact, um, what I was reading in your, in your book, and in fact, what we've discussed so far uh, now is kind of maybe think about what are my sort of, um, I think, assumptions in that, uh, because I deal with a lot with people that have got a lot of qualifications, um, some people send me emails and, and they're... Um, <laughs> their uh, address line has all their list of post-nominal qualifications some of which go to sort of three or four lines and I've, I've, I've always maybe I've had this sort of half formed thought that real competence and having all those qualifications actually undermines uh, humility but in fact you're saying it's really the other way around that, that those sorts of people are, are actually recognizing that they need to just carry on doing things.
1: Yeah, I think they do. So I think what happens is, and, and I'm not going to say that having a string of qualifications behind your, your, uh, your name is, is, is something that we should all be aspiring to, but what I do think is important is that at least those people see that they can always be improving. And, I'm, and I must say, I fall into that category myself. You know, I've got a PhD and I've done a whole load of things. But realistically, the main reason that I do those is because I just know the world is vast and I know hardly anything, which is why I have to ask you people. So the book is full of lots of fantastic stories, stories about the way we should be, I think, defining confidence, um, stories about what people actually saw in the people that so I'll give you an example. There was and that's a it's a UK example. Um, I really believe we need to be redefining confidence. And and one of the ways to do that is to start thinking, okay, how do we value not the bravado, but things like self-awareness and also um, going against the grain and 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 really also having the courage of your convictions. So those are the three ways I define it. But I define them, I get the examples I give are slightly different because those sound fair standard but courage of your convictions for me is about following something that is that speaks to you even when it's not the popular choice now there was a guy that i interviewed um, who had been a lawyer um, in his 20s early 20s and he was he's based here in here in scotland and he was um he was going places people thought good things of him and, and one day he was working late at his desk and he happened to see a list of all the partners on the the fir- firm, and this is where he was headed. And you know, everybody was putting their thumbs up for it. it looked like it was it was going to work well for him. But what was interesting is he looked at the list, and at some point, he started going through the names, and he was like, "That one is that one never sees his kids. That one just got his second divorce, and that one's having an affair with a colleague in a different department." And at this moment, he realized that actually, I have to leave this industry because I do not want to be. If this is success, then I don't want success here. And so he left. And what's interesting is he now runs um, Entrepreneurial Scotland, Sandy and Sandy Kennedy. And he said, I had to kind of pull back from something that everybody thought looked like the sure thing for me. But realistically, they didn't have lives that I wanted. And for me, I think what's interesting is historically, when I've gone into organizations like law firms, and I say, why are people leaving? Because they often say, well, we have a lot of great women, but they end up leaving. They often say, well, I guess it's because the women don't have confidence. And I think what's so interesting is, I think what's happening is a lot of people leave certain industries or certain firms because they don't identify with the culture. But that is a vastly, much more uncomfortable place to be if you are a leader of that organization, because it means the problem is not hers or Sandy's in this case, but it's yours as the culture. Does that make sense? So it's far easier to blame somebody for their lack of confidence.
0: In fact, you've that, you, you just led right onto another little bit I highlighted uh, as I was reading. Hundreds of studies show the confidence levels of men and women are similar. So it's not yeah. the actual confidence levels; it's the perception of confidence levels that maybe is part of the problem.
1: It is. It's part of the perception of confidence and what it means to people. Um, so it's not just. So once I think once we move past this 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 expectation that confidence is bravado, it's always what shooting from the hip, it's speaking up in meetings, it's. I mean, I actually had people say, you know, sometimes it's the person who's banging their banging their fist on a desk. It's like, well, yeah, I can see that, but actually, who does that serve, Brian? Like, I don't know, it's not really particularly useful, but the person who has an opinion, but then says, what do other people think? We would never describe that person as being particularly confident, but I would say, I think it actually takes a lot of confidence to look to others to say, how can my opinion be improved? How can my learning be enhanced by hearing what other people say? Um, and that would give me more confidence overall. Does that make sense?
0: It absolutely does make sense. That's very interesting. Um, yeah.
1: So, so for me, it goes back to so go, this t- this term that is called adaptive realism, which is essentially that if you look around and you see a lot of people above you who have lives very much like you aspire to, um, they seem to be getting on, and, but they look a lot like you, you will be confident that you will get ahead. However, if the people above you don't have lives like that, which you want for yourself or with whom you identify, your, your confidence will diminish. You will th- start to think, eh. Maybe this isn't right for me. So, and for me, that's really key to this. And that's something we don't talk about enough. We assume, because it is far easier to do, we assume the problem is all in the individual, which is, oh, she's just not confident enough. Rather than saying, what's going on in this organization that doesn't grow confidence equally? How, Why are some people flourishing and others not?
0: So in a a practical sense, uh, Suzanne, how can we approach this problem? I mean, part of it is, as we're very well aware with the Black Lives Matter movement, part of this Mm -hmm. stuff is systemic, isn't it? So you talk in your book about um, the great man sort of ideal. It's just part of our culture, certainly in the West. And we can't do a lot about that at this point. But what we can do, I suppose, is, is modify the way we behave as individuals. So when we're in a an environment, you know, in a one-to-one meeting or in a, in a, a situation where we, we're trying to make a difference with our boss or whatever. How can we apply those principles, do you think, in a practical way?
1: What I like to encourage people to do is, um, one, highlight oh. the experience of who you're talking about. So if the person is being oh. downgraded because they're not confident oh. yet, or if that's a phrase I hear all the time, she's just not confident yet. Like this mm-hmm. is to be a magic mm-hmm. pill for somehow. Highlight your experience. And if you're the person yourself, highlight your experience with what I call like the when. So if you're talking to people who are not judging you as particularly confident, describe yourself as, well, oh, this reminds me, this challenge we're working on reminds me of a project I did a few years ago. Or when I was speaking to um, a senior stakeholder on this topic, they had this point of view. How do we get that on board? So mm-hmm. talk to them about mm-hmm. the things that you're doing and have done. That build that shows that you've got the credibility in this, that your opinion is just not out of nowhere. Because I routinely worked with people who've said, you know what, I have 10 years in this industry. However, I'm routinely overlooked in favor of people who have like two or three years. Their face fits better. Um, so that's part of it, is is really go back to, okay, who has the experience in this and, and who was (laughs) Who was instrumental? I mean, and I think this is going to be a big issue going forward, Brian, because we will be, um, you know, as the economy goes back to work, if you will, I think a lot of companies will start to think, okay, do we have all the same people we've had before? And who do we keep? And I think the smart money is on keeping the competent people, the people who are and I'll use this great British phrase, which I love, but is deeply unsexy, which is. Who are the safe pairs of hands?
0: (laughs) It's a phrase We're happy with that. We're happy with that as a phrase. That's okay.
1: (laughs) It's a great phrase, but it's so deeply unsexy, right? Who wants to be that, (laughs) who wants to be described as a safe pair of hands? But I gotta say, there's a lot going for safe pairs of
0: hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They tend to, they reduce risk. They make sure things get done. But they're not the people, and this is, I think, highlighted in the way we're even looking at the way we clapped for carers. Our key workers across the entire country have been people for whom we don't celebrate their confidence. We celebrate their competence. That is our delivery drivers, our medical workers, our uh, postal workers, people who aren't glammed up as being confident, blah, 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 because they don't need to be. We really rely on how good they are at their job.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wonder if this is a particular problem in IT. I'm just thinking of a, a couple of recent, uh, uh, you know, characters. Steve Jobs comes straight to mind. Um, Elon Musk comes to mind now, who yeah. um, a little bit more style than actual substance. I'll probably be lynched for saying this on an IT podcast, but I just wonder what you thought about that.
1: <laughs> well, I think the style is a really interesting is an interesting one. It is very intoxicating initially. Um, somebody having style, but I think we need to say, is this person somebody we would trust? And a great way for me to even know about Elon Musk is he's put, um, you know, he's a big talker and he does a lot. I will definitely give him that credit. However, what's interesting to me is that he's very, um, you know, the, the, the horses that he backs, I don't necessarily think fit this fit this competence model. For example, he's now putting his you know his his name behind Kanye West as being the new, uh, a new presidential candidate and Kanye West himself has put his you know historically put his his uh, his his money behind Trump. You know, so there's this whole kind of there's people for whom stylistically this type of confident bravado Really suits, but I think it's because it's a lot harder to do the competent work. But if you do, you will not have as much of the imposter syndrome, you will not have as much of the am I about to be found out. Um, and realistically, you're going back, you're offering more to the world.
0: So, two um, final points I'd like to make, uh, uh, Suzanne. So, half an hour's shot by there. Thank you so much for speaking. Fascinating. (laughs) Um, first one is, um I really like the um, uh, the quotes and the, and the little stories you've got going through the book. I had not come across the um, idea from Epstein that he thought he could improve the genetic stock of humanity, which I found <laughs> stunning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny, you know, I I drew, as I said, I was very humbled. I thought I knew what this book was going to be about. And I thought it was going to be about gender. That's what I'd focused on. Um, you know, in my PhD and my work beforehand. But this was so much wider. And what was really interesting to me was that once I opened my eyes more, I started thinking this is so much more valid than this is so much more. um, This crosses so many different groups of people who we Undervalue, and so in a weird way, I've got stories from you know Ronald Reagan all the way through to you know the Apollo um, the Apollo disaster. We talk about that. Got interviews from these leaders, but also I quote Cardi B, right? I mean, (laughs) 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 kind of a weird mix. But there's, you know, people identify with this topic of you know just keep working and you will be rewarded. And I think you know the, the last point I would make is if you're in that room where people are talking about how great, how confident somebody is, and you think, I think we're going the wrong way, I think push back. I think that's what I would like to see come out of this, is that people start to push back a little bit on those conversations where someone's not just a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the heir apparent because of their confidence. I think push back and say things like, ask questions like, what are we risking when we over-reward confidence but undervalue skill and expertise? Yeah. Like that's big risk. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you've, what you've done, one thing that appealed to me about your book, apart from that storytelling strand, is the fact that you've got a lot of research-based stuff in here as well. Um, this is not quite on the subject, but I noticed that you were quoted uh, Deborah Tannen, the linguistic researcher, talking about generalisation of um, generalised research, the fact that people are against the concept of things being generalised, but actually you can't apply anything. You can't really draw conclusions unless something's generalised. I just thought that was a nice point to, um, to sort of underpin your book.
1: It, uh, it's a, it is an important one for people to understand because people like to say, oh, you're generalising people together. But actually sociologists, psychologists, We have to study large groups of people to look for themes. And what's powerful about themes is it helps us understand why certain groups of people may feel a certain way so that we can understand what's underpinning that. And so and also why when somebody doesn't act like that, yet they're from that group, why we may react to them slightly differently. Um, and and negatively. So for example, I'll give you a very basic one. Women do tend to show, demonstrate less confidence. But part of that is because we are raised to be very humble. No girl on the playground is is loved if she talks about how great she is when she's six years old. Like that's just not something we tend to reward in girls. However, However, if a girl does that, when she does do that, we react badly to it. And if she has a lot of confidence, we are kind of like, whoa, what's going on? And so that generalizability helps us understand, um, you know, ha- helps us understand what's going on in a bigger societal, uh, you know, societal background. So, yeah, I did. There's a lot of research in it. I mean, it, it was there's a lot of stories, which is why I think I'm so grateful when, um, <laughs> you know, when Sharon Moore, who is so instrumental at BCS, you know, said, I love Suzanne's you no-holds-barred know, no approach to this <laughs> <Yeah>. topic. <thing. laughs> I was really grateful she said that.
0: It's been fascinating for me to talk to you. I, I enjoyed the bit of reading I've done. I'll do a bit more reading in your book as well. Um, in fact, I'm gonna ask you one last question, if that's all right. Listen to this will be a lot of IT folks. M- many of them uh, tend to be uh, sort of focused individuals that are not quite so extrovert. So mm-hmm. if you're gonna give them a message as to what they should be getting out of this, um, out of the conjure, what would it be?
1: I think that what I want people to do is say, go back. If they are ever told oh, you're not confident enough, I think with, to, to ask to go back and say, OK, how does my lack of confidence that you're interpreting that way? How does that actually uh, how would more confidence serve you? Because actually it, it's my lack of confidence that keeps me improving, keeps me better doing better for you as an employer, better for this team. It keeps me on my toes so that I am constantly, you know, I'm constantly improving.
0: Lovely. Um, Dr. Zuzan Dolan-Morris, thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, And um, I'm sure we're going to be speaking again because uh, you've inspired me a little bit and I want to to get you involved in some more BCS stuff if we possibly can.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Brian. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Me too. You have been listening to BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT's Gem of All Mechanisms podcast. For much more content, please visit bcs.org or follow us on social media.